You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning. Good morning, church. How is everybody doing? It is good to be with you. Welcome to East Point Church. Welcome, welcome. I'm just going to make sure here I can greet you properly here. Sometimes you forget to turn the television on. That's me, that's me. So yeah, we should be good here. But hey, welcome to East Point Church. My name is Sam. If we had not had the privilege of meeting yet, um, I would love to do that. I'm the lead pastor here. I get to serve on this awesome team with this awesome church family. And, uh, and I love it. I've been here for about a year now. Moved here a year ago from the Pacific Northwest Anybody, any West Coasters? Yeah, all four of us, let's go. So, but now we're here, not only on the East Coast, we're here on the Eastern Shore. Didn't even know there was a such thing until we moved out here, but we are so happy to be doing life with you guys because we are here to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. And so I'm glad that you're here this morning. Do me a favor and go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. If you're using one of those blue and white ones that we provide, we are on page 981 as we continue our series called Unfinished. And so as you turn there, I want to confess something to you as your pastor, but mostly just as a friend, okay? And I'm hoping that you don't judge me. I'm hoping that maybe there are one, maybe even two people who can empathize with me, but I'm the kind of person who has a favorite word. Anybody in this room have favorite words? Anybody? See, I knew I was going to oust myself as a geek. Listen, not only do I have a favorite word, I have a favorite word list. Like more than one. Really, nobody in here? Nobody? Like favorite words, right? And so, for example, one of my favorite words all time is the word crisp. (laughs) Right? Doesn't it sound like what it is? Crisp, right? Here's another one for you, another one of my top, I'll just call it a top four, right, for now. Uh, Rigmarole rigmarole, like if that doesn't sound like what it is, right? Just googly, googly gawk, just filling it in, just the rigmarole. It sounds boring. Another word is mystic. Doesn't mystic sound like you're a mystic when you say it right? Mystic, just very beautiful. And so one of my all-time favorite words, I would say number one at the top of my list, please do not make fun of me, but I just, I like reading, I like words. And so one of my all-time favorite words is the word Therefore, therefore, not seeing a lot of excitement. Okay, let me explain. Therefore, you got to understand, therefore is what I call a hinge, right? Therefore is a trigger. Therefore is a sign alerting you that there is a cause and effect relationship, right? Something has happened. Therefore, (sighs) right? It is a word that teaches us that there are implications. Something has happened, and now there is a cascading of dominoes in light of something happening. There are reverberating results. There is an echo, an echoing chain of cause and effect. There are ramifications because something has happened. And so, for example, you come home and you tell your spouse, "Hun, we have no more money. Therefore, okay, babe, the check engine light has come on my dashboard. 
Therefore, you see what I'm saying, right? Our anniversary is this weekend. Therefore, you better do something, right? My kid just got her license. She can now drive on her own. Therefore, what are we going to do about this, right? Sam, I have a lunch appointment at 12 o'clock. Therefore, I get the message, right? Keep it going. The word therefore, there are implications that need to be worked out in light of the situation at hand. To ignore them would be for your own detriment. There is something on the other side of the therefore. And so I always say it this way. Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? <laughs> what is it therefore? And so our passage today begins with my favorite word. In case you're new here, last week we learned about this thing called the gospel. We learned the message that Jesus Christ, in humility, descended from heaven. He moved into the neighborhood to save us so that we could ascend to the status as a child of God. That Jesus Christ has taken the initiative and he has brought us into his family. And this week, Paul, while the, while the gospel message is still echoing in our ears, Paul begins this week and he says, therefore, therefore, there's a cascading domino effect here in your life. There is a result. There are implications that need to be worked out because something has happened. God has saved us. Therefore, and that's how we begin, starting in verse 12. Look what he says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The first thing we learn from our passage this morning, we are told to work it out because God is working in. We are told to work it out, speaking of our salvation. And so no, more often than not, we typically stand here today and we talk about our salvation. We talk about the time that we were saved in past tense. We look back to a moment in our history where we were saved, right? I was adopted into the family of God. I heard the gospel and I understood it and I put my faith in Jesus. In the past, I was forgiven. I remember that time in my history where I went public with my faith through water baptism, past tense. And that's correct, right? There are moments in our lives that we look back on that were decisive and they changed our lives forever. I was adopted. There was a moment in my past where I received the identity, I am a child of God, never to be changed again. That's who I am, your boy, son of God. There was a moment in my past where I was forgiven and I was washed clean and now God no longer sees me and treats me based on my sins. He treats me as if I'm perfect because I have the righteousness of Jesus. There was a moment in my past where I was, where I was filled with new purpose. I received the Holy Spirit. I was brought in and grafted into the family of God. Past tense. But there are moments like today. 
There are verses and passages of scripture like we see today that remind us that our salvation was not just a past event. Our salvation was not just our history. It was not just a significant milestone buried back in the Facebook timelines called conversion. We see today that our salvation continues to have radical implications for you and me that are being worked out in real time for the rest of our lives. And so right now, today, in the present, we are called to work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Think of your salvation like a garden. Here's my beautiful garden. You guys like my garden? Thank you. It's not my garden. It's Kayla's garden, but that's okay. And so in my garden, right, if you look at it, there was a moment past tense where this garden was planted. There was a moment, historically speaking, where this garden was founded, it was planted, it was established. But how many of you know that you don't simply plant a garden and then walk away, right? A garden is meant to be cultivated and tended to, and we continue to see it blossom and flourish and fruitful, right? You are either cultivating and tending to the garden, or you're neglecting it. And so Paul says today, just like the garden that is continually cultivated and tend to, we are called to work out our salvation. There's a sense of progress, There's a sense of growth. We are to daily tend to the garden, right? To live with a daily commitment to seeing the garden cared for, to see it cultivated and blossom as we increase our understanding and live out the implications of the gospel. As we see the implications of our salvation extend further and further into every aspect of our lives. And so just like the garden, we approach our salvation. We treat our salvation with a watchful vigilance that would come for anything that would come in and inhibit the growth of our garden. On the other hand, we are approaching our garden with an intentionality that, in, that purposely includes anything and everything that will fertilize, that will promote fruitful growth. We are working in the garden, friends. We are working out our salvation. And so friends, if you're new here to East Point Church, you need to understand this is what we are all about. It is our passionate prayer and plea to God that we are not a church that's simply about decisions. Okay, so if if you're familiar with church, in the church world, often they talk about decisions. Do you want to make a decision to live for Jesus? Check next. No. Do you want to make a decision? Yes. And how about you? Do I have any other hand? I see that hand. Awesome. Do you want to make a decision? And what Paul's reminding us here today is that it's not about decisions. Our prayer is that every single person who walks through that door would move beyond a point of decision into a lifetime of discipleship. It's our prayer that every single person in this room would realize that it was actually God who made a decision to save you. And it's a lifetime of working out your salvation, of having the implications of the gospel grow and extend into every aspect of your existence. And so we're told, right, just like a beautiful garden, work it out. 
Work it out, cultivate it, tend to it, grow it, right? He says, work out your salvation. Church, work out your salvation in your marriage. Work out your salvation in your parenting. Bring the implications of the gospel to bear on your dating and your sex life. Approach the garden in such a way that it blossoms into fruitfulness in your finances and its fruitfulness in your, in your decision making and in the content that you consume and the speech that you use in your time management, whatever it is, work out your salvation. It's our prayer that we would not be the kind of church filled with people that say, oh yeah, I made that decision way back when doesn't have much to do with my life now, but I made a decision. No, no, no. Present tense. Work out your salvation. Work it out. And so Paul has given his whole life to teaching people how to work it out. Most of the New Testament, these letters, these are not just letters of poems and thoughts. These are letters written to teach you, here's how you should live in light of the gospel. Here's how you should live out these implications. But you see, Paul's in prison now. Paul may never get to sit down with them over coffee again. Paul may never have another session of in-person counseling. He may never have another opportunity to speak into their lives. And so he says, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. In other words, whether I'm there to teach you or not, work it out. Work out your salvation. Tend to the garden of your salvation. He says, whether I'm there or not. As a matter of fact, the fact that I'm not there, that much more important is it now. Work it out. Which tells me, friends, that this life of discipleship, it's not about making your pastor happy. Well, I gotta do that to get pastor points. You know, it's like, this is not about fitting in with some Christian subculture. Well, if I really figure it out, then I can fit in with the Christian. What's going on here? The call to work out your salvation. He's saying, if Paul never comes back, if he never provides another moment of oversight or in-person mentoring, even if you in this room never have another leader in your life ever sit down and speak into your life, you should still work it out. You are to watch your lives, pay attention to the state of your souls, and diligently work out your salvation. And then he adds two words here that are so just amazing to me. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's kind of weird language, right? Because when we think of the word fear, we think of I'm scared of a dangerous and unpredictable person, right? I'm scared for my safety. No, in the Bible, the word fear, it means I'm approaching this situation with such an awareness and a reverence of what is on the line here. I'm approaching my salvation, basically, he's saying, with a level of gravitas, a profound gravitas to this endeavor. In other words, we don't treat the garden with a casual, lackadaisical, flippant attitude, right? Well, you know, I got the Jesus thing on the side. I hit it up on the weekends, but I'm doing my thing. Life is busy, and if, hey, if I can ever get over here, maybe I'll, like, you know, prune a weed or two, but, you know, I got a lot of things going on. He says, no, 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 with fear and trembling, meaning this should be the utmost priority in your life. Your growth in salvation, church, should be the most eager and earnest endeavor that you participate in. It is of the utmost concern to us, and so we work with an eagerness. Nothing is more precious 
Nothing is more important. Nothing is higher up on my prayer list for my children than their salvation and their subsequent growth. Why is it such a big deal? Come on, Sam. I mean, there's like Christians and then there's like radical Christians, right? It sounds like you're telling me I gotta be radical. It sounds like you're telling me that I gotta like be all in or on fire. Like, come on, like I do good. I'm moral. I, you know, I have the Jesus thing. I'm better than I was 10 years ago. Trust me. And so like, isn't that enough? Why should I believe you that this is the most important thing in my life? Friends, when I show you the answer, it's gonna blow your mind. When I show you the answer, you're never going to look back again. Do you know why this is the most important thing in your life? Do you know why you are called to care for the garden with the utmost eagerness and earnestness? It's not my answer. Look what he says. For it is God who works in. Get this. We are to cultivate growth and transformations in our lives with the utmost earnestness because when we take a closer look at the garden, we realize it was God himself who planted it. We approach the garden, we approach the growth of our salvation with the utmost seriousness because when we look in the garden, we actually see that God the Father is on his hands and his knees in the soil and it's him who's pulling weeds. It's him who's planting bulbs. It's him who's pruning hedges and planting beautiful things in the garden. God is at work in the garden. He is using all of his divine power and energy in all of his earnestness to produce a fruitful and beautiful garden that will bring you joy and bring him glory. And so work it out. Because that's the very thing that God is working on. Friends, you got to understand, God's plan wasn't simply to adopt you. His plan wasn't simply to bring you into the family. If you were to look at the whiteboard in heaven, his game plan was not just to plant your salvation, but to cultivate it and to grow it and to bring fruitfulness and to see your salvation affect every area of your life so that you would become the, the, what humanity was designed to be in relationship with him and living for him. And so he's using everything in your life, blessings and suffering, sickness and health, relationships and circumstances, broken things and mended things. Nothing is wasted in the hands of God and he's using all of it toward what end? Your growth. So that you would look like his son, Jesus. See, I know that God is working in my life. I know, Sam Cassie is here, I know that God is pruning, I know that he's at work to make me look more like him. But I'm gonna be honest, here's how I normally picture God, okay? I normally picture God, he looks at my mess, he looks at my brokenness, and this is what God does, he goes, are you still not over this yet? Oh my, I, do I still have to work in you? Are you kidding, are you still, you know? And I, just, I picture God the Father as an exasperated God who's rolling his eyes going, really? You're st- I still have to prune this? Really? Am I still working in you? And that's nothing like our God. Look what it says. He says he is working and willing in your life for his good pleasure. 
he is working in your life with a smile on his face. He delights in transforming you. He delights coming into the garden and by his spirit making you look more like Jesus. He delights in this process of transformation, friends. And so here's the point. The fact that this growth is God's plan, the fact that he is working in heaven right now to grow us and to transform us, the fact that that's his plan that motivates me to make it my priority. The fact that he is working in me motivates me to give my life and energy toward working it out. We work it out because he is working in. Friends, when I tend to my growth, when I work out my salvation in community, reading the Bible with my spouse and with my friends, having confession with other people, when people call me out and point blind spots of my life, when I'm working there in that zone, I am side by side with the King of heaven doing what he deems of eternal significance. Nothing is more important in my life. And so I ask you this, friends, is your growth a priority? How much earnestness, how much gravitas marks your approach to the working out of your salvation? Now hear me, hear me. This is not a, a, a question that's dripping with shame. Are you making it a priority? You should be. Are you still not focusing? There's no shame here. Think about it. If God expected us to have this down already, he wouldn't have included these divine, beautiful, friendly reminders. I mean, the, the fact that he has to remind us to work at our salvation, it shows that he gets it, right? He knows we're human. He knows we're fickle. He knows life is busy. He knows that there are so many things competing for our time and our attention. He knows. And so he looks at you this morning in love and grace and he goes, hey, Work it out, because I'm working in. Work out your salvation, because that's the very thing that I'm working on. We keep going here, friends. We see the call to work out our salvation, right? In general, live out the radical implications of your salvation. But then, in the next verse, we're reminded that this letter wasn't written to you and me. It was written to an ancient people, a specific group of people, Greeks, in a specific context. And Paul, he says, work out your salvation, but then he gets specific. <laughs> and for a few moments, we're going to read their mail a little bit, right? We're going to see the specific issues, the specific instance that they needed to work out their salvation. And so look what he says in the next section. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so one more time, we are reminded, God is working. He is working on the garden of your salvation. Toward what end? So that you would be blameless and innocent so that you would be without blemish, a.k.a. so that you would look like Jesus, okay? So that you would ha have Christ-likeness. That is the goal toward which God is working. And so now Paul says here in our second point, eliminate whatever stands between you and Christ-likeness. Eliminate 
whatever stands between you and God's goal in your life of Christ-likeness. And so the Philippians here, he tells them, hey, you are doing something that is the opposite of Jesus. You are doing something here that is pretty pervasive in your community, in your culture. And so he says, hey, I'm calling you out to work out your salvation by eliminating grumbling and disputing. Now remember, I said this in the intro of our series, the Philippians, they're a mature congregation, right? I mean, they're mature, they follow Jesus, they're filled with love, and yet he's calling them out, which reminds me, we have all fallen short, okay? If you're breathing and you have a pulse, you are not perfect. How dare he? It's the truth, okay? Even the Philippians, this biblical congregation, they have blind spots. You have blind spots, We all have our characteristic sins. We all have our personal temptations. We have problem spots in the garden. You know when you're like doing your hair in the morning and you're just like, this spot won't go down. We all have problem spots, right? For me, it's my horns right here. My hair grows so fast right here. I don't know what it is, but it's like weed and feed, just whoop right there, you know? But here's the thing. We all have problem spots in the garden. You all have characteristic temptations and bents. And so far be it from one of us to judge other people based on their characteristic sins, right? Far be it from us to go, oh, you have that in your garden? Nah, brother, because I got this in my garden, right? So we're all fallen. We're all fallen. And so the Philippians, their bent, their tendency was grumbling and disputing, quarreling. They were a contentious lot, prone to fight, prone to bicker. They got into it. If you look at their Facebook timelines, they're not known for getting along with others. They would probably not have received plays nice with others on their report card, right? They are not peacemakers. It's probably because of what we saw last week. Remember Paul said, hey, your selfish ambition and pride? And so it's all of that is in there. And when we get to chapter 4, Dude, Paul is going to do them dirty. Paul is going to call out these two ladies by name. He's like, all right, everybody, I'm writing to you. Hey, Udia, Syntyche, like their names are forever recorded in the Holy Scriptures because they got into a nasty Twitter war. Isn't that wild? Like, man, if your name is going to be in the Bible for some reason, right, it's because you're known as the ladies that were fighting, right? And so he goes, hey, brothers, elders, can you mediate? Because they're contentious. They're contentious. This is their characteristic sin. And so let's ask the question, what will this do to their souls? Let's ask it another way. If these things were allowed to remain unchecked and and just continue to grow uninhibited in the garden, what would it do to their lives? What would it do to the garden of their salvation? Well, contentiousness, fighting, quarreling, bickering, those things will detract from the beauty of the garden they will inhibit the growth and the flourishing. Just like a bag of potato chips that you finish and you crumble it up and you throw it in the flower bed and you're like, what are you doing? That's what these attitudes do. They are producing in us the opposite of the goal. They're not, they're, they're not cultivating and catalyzing blamelessness and above reproach, Jesus-likeness. They're the opposite of Christ-likeness because Jesus was a humble, others-first peacemaker. And so Paul is calling out their contentiousness, not because it's just uncouth, not because it goes against social mores. That's another favorite word, mores. Ooh, that's powerful. 
He's not calling out that word because it's against social convention. He's calling it out because it's the opposite of Christ-likeness. He wants us to be a people whose natural disposition is peace, harmony, and unity, not complaining and contentiousness. And so he says it with no mistaking, right? He makes it super clear. Do all things without it. Do all things without it. Not a trace, not a hint, not a modicum of contentiousness. Do all things without grumbling. And as you do, as you refuse and eliminate the bickering, as you pursue unity and harmony, you are going to be so different from the world. That pursuit is so uncharacteristic of this crooked and twisted generation that you will stand in stark contrast to those around you in the same way that light shines in the darkness and you can't help but notice. You too will shine as lights in the world. Your growth you're working out of your salvation. It will be noticed by all. And you will be living in such a way that you will be referred to as children of God. Meaning, you look just like your daddy. Like father, like son, children of a holy, blameless, and above reproach God without blemish. Anybody else want to look like their father today? I want to look like God And so Paul calls you and me to eliminate whatever stands between you and Christ-likeness. Now I get it, right? That's their issue. And so maybe you're in this room and you're like, yeah, maybe I have a little bit too much keyboard courage. Maybe I have not been a promoter of peace and harmony. And maybe I do have a little bit of a contentious spirit. Maybe I am prone to fight for no reason. Then listen to what he's saying. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. But even if that's not you, Even if that's not the thing that stands between you and Christ's likeness, you should still ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Do all things without. Do all things without. What, my brother? Hey, sister, do all things without. Whatever it is, the Lord is at work, willing and working in your life to eliminate whatever stands between you and Christ's likeness. And so work out your salvation because God is at work in you. Eliminate anything that stands between you and Christ-likeness. But here's the point. Every project has an end. Every mission will eventually come to a culmination and completion. And so God is at work in you. He's calling you to be at work in you until it's over. And in our final point, we see what all of this is leading toward. Look what he says, verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Final point for you here this morning, friends. He's telling us to hold fast today for tomorrow's hope is worth it. Hold fast today for tomorrow's hope is worth it. Do you know what's coming? Christian, do you know what's coming? Do you know what all of this is moving toward? Do you know the end that all of this is going toward? Do you understand what the crescendo of salvation in your life is leading toward? Do you know what's coming? 
the day of Christ. The day of Christ. I feel like Will Ferrell, an elf. Every time I read the day of Christ, I'm like, Santa's coming! Like, that's how I feel. But it's about the day of Christ. Jesus is coming! Like, you should feel that way. This is the point. This is the goal. How many of us think that Christianity, how many of us think that following Jesus is about, well, I'm moral, be right, have good traditions, and now just wait until you die? Friends, we're going somewhere. The timeline of your life is verging on something monumental. It is all going to come at the culmination when Jesus Christ comes back. Did you know that? He came once already. Merry Christmas. He came in the form of a baby. But he's coming back again. And the second time, he's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back as a warrior. He's coming back to decisively end evil. And he's going to grab his bride, you and me, the church. And he's going to bring us to be with him for the rest of eternity as he creates a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus is coming! It's coming, friends. The day of Christ is coming. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, it is game over for this era. Look what John says. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Right now, you, in the flesh, you are God's child. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, second time, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, when Jesus comes back, we will be made like him. We will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And all of this project of working to become blameless and above reproach and innocent, it's done as he perfects us and glorifies us and we have bodies like his. And here's Paul's prayer, that they would hold fast, that they would not give up before that day. His prayer is that you and me would faithfully, with endurance, work out our own salvation so that on the day of Jesus' return, we will be standing among those who are clinging fast to Jesus. He wants to know that on that day, <laughs> Paul, Paul's in prison, right? He's like, listen, I want to know that on that day, everything that I'm going through, all of the laboring, all of the running, I want to know that it was not in vain. Every, all of his ministry, every single sermon, all of his teaching and guidance, every beating, every imprisonment, every shipwreck, all of it will have been worth it. Friends, this is God's master plan. What a picture. Every single Philippian, every single Christian at East Point Church standing before Jesus at the end of their lives, holy, blameless, and above reproach, saying, Jesus, I didn't let go because you didn't let go of me. And we're standing there. And on that day, we will know that everything we endured, all of the pain, all of the journeying, all of the processing, it will have been worth it. Hold fast today for tomorrow's hope is worth it. That's the picture that drove Paul, friends. And how can this guy be in prison? How is he still taking more beatings? Doesn't this guy just like want to retire or something? He says, no, the, this picture is so beautiful and so compelling that even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offer, even if I never make it out of prison, even if my life, like a glass of water, is just poured out, if I die, I'll still rejoice 
because it'll have been worth it to see you, Philippians, to see you, follower of Jesus, holding fast and standing before our Savior. We hold fast today for tomorrow's hope. I look around this room and I see a lot of group leaders, disciple makers, parents, elders, teachers. I need you to hear me, friends. As we walk with people, as you teach them how to live for Jesus in the messiness of life, as you engage in the inefficient, there's nothing more inefficient, not even government work, nothing is more inefficient than discipleship, okay? One-on-one, slow grind. As you engage in this process known as discipleship, remember the hope that they will be standing before Jesus one day and all of your running and all of your laboring, it will have been worth it on the day that you see your beloved friends and your beloved disciples and your children standing before Jesus and you will know in that day that every hard conversation, every tear that was shed, every crucial conversation, it will all have been worth it. It will all have been worth it. Every late night phone call, every prayer uttered, Every moment of ministry on earth is not in vain. So be glad and rejoice. And then here's another application I want to make really quickly here. Paul is laboring and running for the growth of a people. Who are you laboring and running for? Who are you discipling? Well, I'm not quite high up the MLM ladder. You know what I mean? I'm like level one Christian. And so I'm a level 10. I can't really make more disciples. No, no, no. To be a disciple is to make disciples. Do you know this much? Teach this much. Do you know this much? Teach this much. We are called as followers of Jesus to do all that he commanded us to do. And one of those commands was to go and make disciples. And so who are you laboring after? Who are you running for? Who are you with all of his energy that he powerfully works within you? Who are you prayerfully wrestling with? I want them to learn how to follow Jesus. Grab somebody whoever it is, grab them and don't let go because it will have been worth it when you see them standing before Jesus one day, held fast by our Savior. And so, child of God, I want you to listen to this beautiful vision for your life. How many of you want to know God's will? I want to know God's will. Every young adult in the room said, amen, right? What college do I go to? Who do I marry? What shoes do I wear tomorrow? Big decisions here, okay? Life decisions, and we always want to know God's will. Here's God's will, your transformation. Here's God's will for your life, to see you grow into Christ-likeness. Everything else is a detail. Everything else is a detail. Use your best judgment, pray for good motives, find wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Your, God's will for your life is to see you grow. That is his master plan. And so here's the message today, friends. If that's his plan, the call is to make God's plan your priority. Make his plan your priority. And so let's review. We said here, right? Work it out. Work it out because God is working in you. Is this what you want more than anything? Is it, friends? And if it's not, here's one of the most beautiful prayers you can pray. God, I don't want to be godly, but I want to want to be godly. Pray that prayer and see how God shakes the apathy off your heart as he leads you to make it a priority. Number two, we saw to eliminate whatever stands between you and Christ-likeness. 
What in your life is moving you further from God's plan? What in your life is God saying, do all things without? And then finally, hold fast. Are you tired? Are you hurting? Are you struggling right now in your faith? Don't give up. Don't give up. And, and, and I'm not saying don't give up as in just hang in there like you're a cheerleader. I'm saying don't give up. Reflect on the picture of the future. Spend time reflecting on what Jesus is going to do at the end on the day of Christ. And as you reflect on that future picture, you'll see how the Holy Spirit motivates you. How the Holy Spirit compels you to work out your salvation. You will be standing before Jesus made like him. And on that day, all of this process, all of this sanctification will have been worth it. And we're going to do it together, church. Amen? We're going to do it together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you, Lord, that you have saved us. We're sinners, God. We are broken sinners, fallen in so many different ways. And yet, Lord, instead of rejecting us, Instead of rolling your eyes at us and huffing, Lord, you delight in moving near to us and you saved us and you loved us anyway and you brought us into your, your family and you have begun this lifelong process of growth and transformation. Lord, I ask, please continue to grow us. Please continue to transform us. I pray that every person that calls East Point Church home would be engaged in a lifetime of working out their salvation. I pray for those who have felt stale and static, those who have felt like their salvation is nothing more than a history moment on their timeline. Continue to work in them, Lord. Bring it to the forefront of their lives. Father, I pray for those that are tired, for those that don't feel like they have enough energy or strength to endure. Hold them fast, Lord. Hold them fast so that they may hold fast to you, the gospel, the truth. We love you, Lord. May everything in our life conform to Christ's likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.